Hello. Um, the Bible reading tonight, um, if you wanted it in your pew Bibles, it's um, on page 1000. Otherwise, it's Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through to the end of 14. A son honours his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Good evening. Our second Bible reading tonight carries on uh, from where Erica left us before. Uh, so we're on page 1001, or um, if you're looking it up in your own Bibles, that's uh, Malachi chapter 2, and we're going to read the first nine verses there. And it comes under the heading, Admonition for the Priests. And now, this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen... And if you do not set your heart to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you do not set your heart to honour me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the offal from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, 
and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have called you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Amen. Dear friends, let's, um, let's come to our God in prayer. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your presence with us tonight through your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that we can freely read your word and have it explained to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to each of our hearts, Lord, as we look at this very important subject tonight of giving you your honor, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, what a joy it is once again for us to meet tonight to worship and praise our great and wonderful God. We sang tonight, How Great Thou Art. Is God really great in your life? Is he? Good. All right. Okay, how great God is. He's an awesome God, a wonderful God. It fits in well with our topic for this evening. How great thou art. So tonight we want to look at this... uh, this passage, which is our text for tonight, Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 to chapter 2, and verse 9. And the topic this evening is, giving God is honor. What does it actually mean to honor someone? What does it actually mean to respect someone? I'm sure most of us would honor and respect other people, right? I'm sure as Children, you would honor, I trust, and respect your parents. All boys and girls, well, young people here, you will sure you will agree with me. You go honor and respect your parents, right? If you're in school, you will honor and respect, I hope, and I trust your teachers. If you're at uni, uh, in our society, we would honor and respect authority. Uh, when you see a police officer, or for example, if you're in a court of law, you would stand when the judge walks into the courtroom because you want to show honor and respect to the office of, uh, of uh, the judge in, in the court. Honor and respect for others is to acknowledge the other person in our lives, to acknowledge their worth, to acknowledge their dignity, to acknowledge the fact that that individual is special. It is a respect for that person. Now we'll try and apply that in terms of our text tonight with respect to God. Well, Malachi, we've been studying, we've been, we started the series actually last week. And just to highlight a few things, Malachi is, is the book of God's last words before his final word that we have in the New Testament. Well, who is Malachi? Malachi, the, the name essentially means my messenger, and John has touched on some of these things, but I just want to highlight them again tonight. Where? Jerusalem, Judah. When? 450 to 430 B.C., Why this book was particularly written? Because there was an absence of covenantal faithfulness, of devotion and obedience to God. The God of the scriptures is a covenant God. You look at the scriptures right from the very beginning with God making a covenant with Abraham and he's a a covenant God that displays his amazing faithfulness from one generation to another. And so... There was an absence of that covenantal faithfulness and devotion and obedience to God. And so Malachi's prophecy was written perhaps around 430 BC. The name essentially means my messenger. 
And in this short prophecy consisting of four small chapters, Malachi the messenger addresses two types of people, I think. One, the people who are arrogant, the arrogant people. And secondly, to those who fear the Lord, both of whom seem to be God's people. And it was probably written about 80 or 90 years after the construction of a new temple during the time of Agai and Zechariah. And there were three returning movements from the Babylonian exile under the, under the Medo-Persian rule. One was by the decree of Cyrus. There was another one that was directed and sent forth a separate time, particularly governed under the direction of a teacher by the name of Ezra. And, and Ezra would return and more would return with him. And then there is a third return that took place around 445 BC under a man by the name of Nehemiah. Right? And Nehemiah was this guy who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Remember that? We won't go into all of those details. And people made fun of Nehemiah. He said, foxes will go on these walls and the walls will crumble. But God allowed Nehemiah to continue to build those walls through the people. And so then comes along Malachi. And I think and I believe that he clearly ministered during the time of the return from the Babylonian exile. Coming after the destruction of the Temple of Solomon, the exile of God's people to Babylon, and the return of the exiles to the Promised Land, it is the last book of prophecy in the Old Testament. Right? And the people were unhappy with the Lord because he was not measuring up to their expectations. He was not measuring up to their expectations. By 430 BC, Israel was a small province in the backwaters of the Persian Empire. And the future, just think about this. Here were the people, right? They're sitting there, they're wondering what's going on. And the future glory that was prophesied by Haggai and Zechariah had not been realized. And the people were losing hope. I mean, it can happen to us, isn't it? We look at the world that we are living in. We look at our churches, perhaps. We wonder what is going on. God, you promised great things. You promised to bring revival and renewal. What is happening? What's going on? It's very easy for us to lose hope. It doesn't take much, does it? When I look around the world, when I look around what's going on, perhaps even in our own nation, I ask the question, God, where are you? But I take comfort to know that this world is not the world that we're looking forward to. Our world is a, another world. We live in the God, with the God of hope. So, let me say this, that the people, they thought that time was running out for God to come in power, to demonstrate his power in Israel. They began to doubt God's covenant of grace to them as his people. They began to doubt God's promises to them. And they, began, they, they became cynical and totally insensitive, not only about the love of God, but also about their own sin. And so concluding on the basis of their circumstances that God did not really care for them, they became disrespectful to God. They became disrespectful. And so God, through Malachi, addresses his people because why I think they were just marking time. Just marking time. They were doing the minimum, and when they worshipped the Lord, they brought the least and the leftovers. Ah, 
we'll just give God our leftovers. After all, it's all right. Okay? They were robbing God. Malachi chapter 3. How? By not giving God. Come on, tell me, tell me, tell me. What? Their tithes and their offerings, right? Robbing God. They were ruining the, the entire institution of marriage. Look at that as well in, in, in some ways. Right? And they had, a, they had a half-hearted relationship with God who has wholeheartedly loved them. That's the point, isn't it? And it is within this context that we find our passage here for tonight in Malachi chapter 1, 6 to chapter 2, verse 9. And so, you have your outline with you. I trust I've done some outlines, so might as well use it, right? I'm sorry, I've already making this outline for us tonight. Maybe it's helpful, I don't know. If it is, it's available. Right, the question. The question is this. A son honors his father, verse 6, and a servant is master. If then I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of force to you? O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? Where is my honor? See, God speaks of Esau and Jacob and, and John spoke of that last week. Esau is the hunter. He's the guy who likes to go out hunting. Right? He's the, he's, he's the, he's a country kid. He's, he's out there. He's doing his stuff. Jacob is with his mother telling stories. In fact, half stories, half truths, being deceitful, manipulative, and wicked. And to understand this, we go all the way back to Abraham and Isaac. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. God chose to love Jacob. Why would that be? How do we come to terms with this? And this was explained to us last week. It is God's choice. It is a display of his grace. But let me say this. Aren't we like Jacob as well? Don't we have deceitful hearts? There's nothing in my life that was attractive to God. Absolutely nothing. Is there anything attractive in your life that God should choose to love you? I don't, maybe, I don't know. You've got to answer that question, all right? But, but God chose to love us in spite of our deceitfulness. He chose to call us out of this dark world and give us the gift of his grace in his son Jesus. And God judged Esau in righteousness and brought judgment upon him and his offspring. Don't we see something really extraordinary here, friends? We see his grace, his mercy, his sovereign choice. See what had happened to Edom in her pride, arrogance. God dealt with his people. And yet God says to his people, I have kept you even though you have been unfaithful to me. That's what's coming out in the broader context here. It's as if God is saying, I have been your father. I have saved you. I have sustained you. And then he asked the question. And I put it to you this way. And does not God have the right to ask the question, Where is my honor? I have done all of this for you. I have shown you abundant grace. I have saved you. I have brought you out of captivity. I have given you freedom under the Babylonian captivity and have dealt with the Babylonians. You have seen my gracious and wonderful hand of providence in your life. You have seen how I have dealt with you. And then he says, 
Where is my honor? Where is my honor? Now, does God need that honor to make him satisfied? Oh, as if he needs that respect to make him complete. He doesn't need that respect. He doesn't need that honor. He is in himself totally honorable. He is in himself absolutely amazing God. In himself, he doesn't need my respect to make him complete. He doesn't suffer from some kind of bad understanding of himself. He doesn't have a low self-esteem, right? God doesn't have that. He doesn't need my esteem to make him complete. He's honorable in himself. But he's checking their hearts, isn't it? He's checking their hearts. You see, this word honor literally means, it comes from the, the, the Hebrew word, and literally means heavy. It means respect. It means honor. It means great. It also has a figurative meaning, which means uh, glory. In other words, we could change the question perhaps like this. We could reword it this way perhaps. Where is the glory due to me? Where is the glory that is due to me? And he makes he illustrates the point with two examples. The first, first example is that of a son and his father. Uh, well, maybe daughters and his father. Well, this text is about a son here, so we'll go with that. He says a son honors his father. You see, when a son honors his father, what's he doing? Or a child honors his father. He's saying, I acknowledge you. Right? I respect you. I respect your authority. I respect who you are. In, the, in fact, in the Old Testament, children who attacked or cursed their parents were put to death. Exodus chapter 21. We don't do that. Of course not. But that was God's theocratic nation at the time. He took it very seriously. And so in the Old Testament, honor or respect was taken very seriously. And so if then God says, I'm a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is my fear? You see, the relationship of God with his people Israel was a father-son relationship. There was a connectedness. It is about a relationship that God is speaking about here. It's not something of a legal thing that God is, is highlighting. It's a relationship that is coming out. Where is that relationship? You see, I can honor my father by saying the right words and everything else. But if I don't have a relationship with him, that's just empty words, isn't it? If I would say to my dad, yeah, I'll do anything for you and I don't do anything for him. Does it make sense? I can say lots of things. But if I don't have a relationship with him, then it's just words and doing out of obligation. It's a relationship thing. And so I want to ask us tonight to say, as you look at this passage, I know it's a, a lot of material here in the text here tonight. You see, I want to draw us in to that relationship aspect with our God. You know, what an what a amazing thing. As John said when we began to pray, you know, the fact that we can come to our God in prayer, what an amazing thing that is, right? The relationship that we have with him. And then he says, if I'm, so if I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? The relationship of God, now the second example here is of a master and a slave. Even though we don't have the word slave there, it's, it's a bond slave. It's somebody, a slave in the Old Testament was somebody who was purchased with a price, was bought and belonged to the master. And so if he belonged to the master, he can't go and say, well, master, I'm sorry, 
I'm not going to do what you said. I'm going to do it my way. He can't do it the Frank Sinatra's way, doing it my way. He's got to do it the master's way. You know that song, come on. I did it my way, right? I won't sing it to you tonight, but I, I love Frank Sinatra, except for that song. Anyway, <laughs> the point is, right, it is doing it his way. But a master and, and a slave is bound by that. Where is the fear? The, the Hebrew word that is used here is quite interesting. Where is the dread for me? The Lord of hosts. It's another translation here. To honor God then, like a son as a relationship, as a slave as a relationship with his master. To honor God is to acknowledge him. It is to worship him. And I will come back to that in a moment. In fact, the Bible goes further than just people honoring God, his people honoring God. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, that mankind in general are to acknowledge God as their creator. And when we deviate from Romans chapter 1, from who God is, then we have the issues that we face in our society, don't we? The wrath of God is being revealed. So the opposite of not giving God honor is to regard him as someone who is insignificant. It is to deny God his due respect. It is to deny God his worthiness. It is to underestimate this God. I want to ask you this evening, I want to ask you this evening, how serious, when I say ask you, I'm putting the question to myself as well, right? How serious are you and I about the God we worship? How serious are you tonight about this God in your life? How serious am I about this God? Because God means serious business with us. He transacts an important business with us through his son Jesus. And then we have the despising of God's name in verse 6b. Don't worry, we'll work through this text soon. You're probably looking at a watch and thinking, what's going on? We're only 6b. Right, we're coming, we'll get there, right? 6b says, the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have you despised your name? You see, these priests, according to the tradition of Levi, the covenant that God made with, with Levi, the Levites, the, the priestly order that's coming through, we have the Aaronic, I won't get into all of that for tonight. I just want to make the point here. These priests were in the habit of despising God's name. You see, God's name was a manifestation of his being. It is precious. You see, some of the Hebrew names of God is absolutely amazing. Elohim, the all-powerful God. Elion God, the the most amazing God. The Yahweh God, the the covenant faithful God. These are significant names that describes to us the character of God. Describes to us the being of God. Describes to us the very person of our God. Adonai. See, the name of God talks about his person. God's name is a manifestation of his being. And it is precious. And he will guard his name jealously. You shall not take the name of the Lord, thy God, in vain. So you will guard it jealously. And you transfer that to the New Testament. I mean, this is amazing. I'm, 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 I'm skipping here. I'm, 
I'm jumping, which I shouldn't be doing. <laughs> but you, you come to the New Testament. You take a look at the name of Jesus. I mean, Paul, uh, Peter speaks of that. Right? Salvation shall be found under no other name because the name of God and the name of Christ combines in that whole work of redemption. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Did you see that? I know I, I've kind of gone straight into New Testament, all right? Dangerous thing to do straight away. But anyway, I had to put that in. <laughs> see, the, the Old Testament, the Old Testament priest was to acknowledge God and teach the truth about him to his people. They knew the Torah. They, they were the mediators between God and his people in the Old Testament. They should have known better, but they did not honor God. Not only the priests, the people were also guilty of despising the name of God. And the people provided unworthy animals to be sacrificed at the altar. They did not give God their best. Both the priests and the people were guilty of not honoring God and despising his name. And they asked the question, how? How have you despised your name, God? Tell us, tell us. We haven't been despising your name. How dare you tell us that we have been despising your name? Aha. Uh-huh. The answer, okay? 7 to 14. Look at your scriptures. You can see it there. By offering polluted food on my altar, and you say, how have you polluted? How have you polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. In what manner have we despised your name? You see, the priest could not accept this accusation. Instead of honoring the name of the Lord, they've despised it, and they're asking how. And God says, by offering defiled and polluted food on the Lord's table. You see, we don't have time tonight. You see, when the sacrifices were made and the animal sacrifices were brought to the temple, to the altar of God, that animal had to be without blemish, without fault. You know why? You know why? Because that animal, without fault, without blemish, was pointing, it was foreshadowing someone else who was to come. Years later, behold the Lamb of God. You see? And, and, and God would not accept anything less than this. And the table of the Lord is used for the first time in the Old Testament. And is used only by Malachi. And I believe it's synonymous with the altar. In fact, the participle form of this word would suggest, and you look at the original text, it suggests that it is a continuous action. That is that the priests and the people were continuously doing this with no regard to God. That's what we're seeing. The defiled, polluted food continuously brought before God's altar. And, and Leviticus chapter 2, 8. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. The problem with this food, this animal sacrifice is defiled. When you offer, look at what God says, look at the Bible. Okay, verse 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Go and give it to your guest. Imagine if someone came home, right? You had a dinner. You spread out the table. How would I explain this? You, know, you had a nice, you had a roast chicken, but that chicken looked all sick and smelling and everything else. Would you put that on the table? Man, I'll be embarrassed. Right? Your guest has come and you... I'll tell you what. Now, my mother says this. I was once invited to a Samoan function. I think Tanya will know this. 
Man, oh man. They had a pig on this, on this thing that was roasted. Spit roast, right? The whole pig is going through the, the bar is going through the nose. And first time I've seen it. But, but it's going like this. And it's getting brown and brown by the hour, right? And we had to actually literally, first time I've done this. And I had to observe the custom of these people. They invited us to their home. So cutting from this animal. Now, I'll tell you what. Superb. Yummy. But, I tell you, if it looked terrible, if it looked a sick thing there, I wouldn't have even touched it. But they made this because they invited us and other people for this great function, and we enjoyed it. But if it looked sick, oh man, I would run a mile in. I couldn't even see it in the first instance. The point is this. These people were bringing these things, but they won't even offer it to their governors. It's a very interesting thing here, this word governor, which, uh, which is where I think we need a little info, inside information. If this was still under the Babylonian rule, that word governor would not have been used. Right? So when the Medio Persians took over, then they set up provinces and governors over these provinces. And one of the governors, I'm just giving you some insight here, set up over the province of Israel in its return was Nehemiah. And the Romans pick up on this form of the Medo-Persians and they will use governors. And who will be the governor in the days of Jesus in the Roman Empire? This Pontius Pilate. See how it's coming through? So the governors start on the Medo-Persian Empire rule. And the people would not do this to their governors. And God says, I have no pleasure in these things. Entreat, he says in verse 9 to verse 10. He says, shut the doors. Shut the doors of the temple that you might not kindle fire out of my altar. I don't want your half-hearted sacrifices. It is much better to shut the doors of the temple than to offer worthless worship to God. How can he show favor? Verse 11 onwards, from the rising of the sun. I love this text. I love it. That's a sermon in itself there. Look at it. From the rising of the sun to its setting place, setting to it set in my name, will be great among the nations. Never mind about his people, God will honor his own name. He will do it his own way. The nations will know his power, and they did. And are you, he says, and you are getting weary of bringing your offering. Cursed is the cheat. And you say, what a weariness is this, this is, verse 13. And you snort at it says the Lord of hosts, you bring what has been taken away. Shall I accept that from your hand? I'm a great king. Verse, verse uh, 13 and 14, as we see there, I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. I am a great king. You see, friends, politicians come and go. Prime ministers are here today and gone tomorrow. I mean, Literally, that's what happened to us, right? <laughs> right? Presidents come and go. Premiers come and go. I saw John Brumby the other day on TV. He's yesterday's man. God is a king forever. He will not come and go. He's there forever. A great king. So, and this is what he says, the rebuke to the priest, chapter 2, verses 1 and 9, keep going. He says, and now, O priest, this command is for you. 
If you will not listen, if you will not take heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse the blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. And in fact, another translation says, I will spread dung on your faces. Not a nice thing, is it? Ooh, yucky. I have spread dung on your faces. Man, strong language. I will curse you. The curse is an instrument of God's wrath. Dung on your faces. And then as we keep going, for the lips of the priest, chapter 2, verse 7, should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble. You see, the priests have caused, have turned aside and turned other people along with them. They should have been teaching the people. Instead, they were taking care of themselves. They would read the truth about God's word, but they were teaching other things. So whoever comes to this place and preaches the word, he must preach the truth. Right? If he doesn't, he's out from this place. Carry him out of the place. No, we won't do that. But he won't be invited back here. Right? To honor the word of God. So friends, why give God his honor? Because for us, if you are a Christian here tonight, I'm going to address those who are not Christians as well tonight. He is our God. There is none like him. There is no other. He is the God who created you. He is the God who created me. He is the God who redeemed us by sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. He is the God who raised his son from the dead so we can have newness of life. This is why we want to give God the honor that is due to his name today in the New Testament times. Honoring God begins with our hearts, does it not? See, I was thinking about that. I was singing those songs, right? Lovely songs. We all sang well, right? We sang well tonight. Thank God for our musicians. Bang, we go. I was singing there as well. I'm thinking, Lord, how easy is it for me? Just kind of sing those words and really mean nothing to me. How great thou art. And really, is it that great? How great is God in my life? Blessed be your name. Really? Is he really blessed? Am I really? What? Have your own way, Lord. For you are the potter, I am the clay. Really? Man, I can't give you this part of my life. This is very precious to me. But I'll sing, have my own way. Have your own way. Should I be singing, have my own way? You see what I mean? It's so easy, isn't it? In my own life, you know, it's just just so easy to come into that kind of mode, isn't it? Like the psalmist says this, For you will not delight in sacrifices, so I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, let's say it together, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart of God, you will not despise. You will not despise. A contrite heart is a humble heart. A contrite heart is a heart that wants to honor God from within and not externally. And listen to what the, what the prophet Isaiah says. Isaiah 29 verse 13. And the Lord said, because these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips. 
while where are their hearts <laughs> their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men you see you see this is this is what's going on how can i honor god in my life one i've got three things for us tonight practical applications here by worshiping him two by living for his glory and three by honoring his word <laughs> By worshipping God. The people in Malachi offered God half-hearted worship. How about you tonight? Kind of, uh, I'll have a little bit of Christianity here. A little bit of gospel thing there. A little bit of Jesus here. Um, yeah. You know, I'll do the churchy thing. A gospel thing. A little bit of this and that. I don't know. I'm not speaking. I'm just, I'm just raising the issues, right? Where, where do you sit with this God tonight? Is it meaningless? Is it a ritualistic thing? Are you having your feet on both camps? Is it empty? How serious are you? Because God is serious about you. Right? You think God is serious about you? Tell me. Yes. He's very serious about us. I mean, he's absolutely serious. Amazingly serious, powerfully serious, personally serious God. This is, this is mind-blowing. This is the God who, who made the heavens and the earth and the God who loves us with an everlasting love, who has put his seal of redemption in your life through his Holy Spirit. And he says, I am serious about you, my child. Where is my honor? Worship. See, the Bible uses... The word worship in at least three important ways, at least. You see, first, worship can refer to the whole life of the Christian. We are to live our lives for God. We know that under God, we seek to have all we do become loving servants of him. Paul, Paul had this kind of thing in mind when he said in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, you can see the text there, all right, of living sacrifices and so forth. Second, worship can refer to those personal times of prayer, praise, reflection of, of Bible's Bible reading made me focus on God. David worshipped as he prayed and sang alone at night. Do you sing in the night? <laughs> Maybe you do. David sang this. On my bed. Oh man, if I would sing on my bed, Rose will say, go to the next room. <laughs> this is what David sang. He sang this. Alone in the night. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watchers of the night, because you are my help, I sing, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Third, worship can also refer to times when Christians gather officially as a congregation to praise God, what we call corporate worship. This form of worship is commended and is in fact commanded in the Bible. In fact, in, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, let us not give up meeting together. Because why? Some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. How about the Lord's Day on Sundays? <laughs> oh, man. I've got to do the washing. I've got to do the cooking. I've got to do the lawns. Uh, what else? I want to sleep in. I want to watch the cricket. Actually, this month I'm taking leave in July because the ashes. No, I won't be. 
Right. I will sleep in. No, I can't come. Morning service, no. Evening service, I'm too busy. I don't need other Christians for me. You know what I mean? I can be myself in my own room. Myself and God and myself. Someone actually said this to me many years ago. I better go over time. Anyway, one person in the congregation, not here. I'm very happy, Chris, me and my God in my corner, and I'm fine. You can't encourage me to come to church. But the same person, I had a real problem. When there were special events in the church, the person wanted to be the upfront person to lead the community carols, to invite people, and to, and to be upfront and do things. This thing went on for two years. Third year came, I thought, I'm sorry, you are not leading up the front here. Man, that became a massive issue. I said, you're not committed to being part of the body of Christ. You're not committed to come and worship God regularly. You don't deserve the position of coming up here and taking the credit for everything else. Sorry. Never came after that, really. So, it doesn't matter. I, I encouraged, I commended, I said to the person, come to the Lord, do all of these things. You see, I'm just asking the question. Where, where do you fit in this whole thing about worship to God? You see, praise the Lord. Finally, you see, living for God's glory. Uh, let me say this. John Piper says this. I'm going to wind up. God's own glory is uppermost in his own affections. In everything he does, he, his purpose is to preserve and display that glory. To say his glory is uppermost in his own affections means that he puts a greater value on it than anything else. He delights in his glory above all things. The weightiness of our God. Worship. I said three things for us today. By worship, by honoring God, honoring his word. In conclusion, friends, how wonderful it is to know that we have a great high priest. See, sometimes people have asked me, are you the priest in the church? I have a neighbor down the road. I meet her often. Ah, so you're the priest at the church. I cringe when I hear that priest. You know, people get all funny things when they think about a priest, right? This guy with a robe. I said, no, no, I'm not a priest. Oh, what are you? I said, I'm just a pastor. I'm just a minister. See, we don't have a priest here. I'm not the priest here. Who is the priest? Come on. Jesus, the high priest, and you are the priesthood of believers, right? We are the priesthood of believers. We serve one another. We serve our Christ. Christ is the high priest. He has entered the holy of holies. As the perfect son of God and high priest, Jesus established a new covenant, Hebrews 9, with better promises, Hebrews 8. He offered himself as a living sacrifice, as Hebrews 7. As the perfect victim for all, Hebrews 7.27. As our substitute, as our ransom, Jesus, the high priest. And so we come to God tonight, as we conclude, friends, to honor God through Jesus. What a glorious God we have. What a glorious high priest. I want to ask us together tonight. We need to pray for one another. That God will give us a heart for his own glory. <laughs> and that we will live our lives by his grace. To honor him.
who's done everything that we don't deserve. Do you see that? Yeah? Rejoice in this great God for all that he has done and he's doing and will do for us. Amen.